Season 3, Episode Number 7, Chris Lester. Bringing you interviews with audio book authors, actors, and audio cinema enthusiasts from around the world, it's Podio Media Chat with your host, Chris Moody. Welcome to or welcome back to Podio Media Chat. I am your host, Chris Moody. Uh, today we were supposed to have uh, Basil Sands on, but due to some technical issues that I encountered while recording the interview, uh, we will not be playing him. However, we will be doing an interview with Chris Lester, author of Metamore City. Um, this interview was originally recorded on April 9th, uh, so not too long ago. And do stay tuned to the end of the episode as I will have some additional comments about other stuff going on. And so without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Okay, and today on Patio Media Chat, we have Chris Lester, author of Metamore City. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Ah, well, thank you for being here. Uh, to start off with, uh, people who haven't yet started listening to your story, can you give us a brief rundown of what Metamore City is about? Okay, Metamore City is a sci-fi fantasy series. It takes place in a futuristic world, um, kind of like if the world of Blade Runner had grown up with magic in it. Uh, so technology and magic have grown up side by side and have intertwined over the course of their development. And the stories uh, focus on the inhabitants of uh, this place called Metamore City, which is the capital of the largest nation um, in the world at the time, or at least the most powerful nation in the world. Okay. And would you say it's it would be fair to also compare it to, like, the Drexel file, Files? Uh, the Dresden Files? Yeah. Um, not really. I mean, there are some similarities in the sense that I do have some, you know, criminals and cops and various other CD types who happen to use magic and fight monsters. But um, the Dresden Files takes place in a world which is basically like ours, only uh, magic exists and monsters exist, but they exist in secret. Uh, the world of Metamore is a world uh, which was an epic fantasy world, you know, typ typical Tolkien-esque place where lots of races of very different species uh, existed side by side, and everybody's always known about it. So magic is, you know, a, a acknowledged part of life. Roughly one in every five people has at least some level of magical talent. So there's, it's a, a pretty different thing from the Dresden Files in that sense. Okay. And... So 
And in, from what I gathered from the story, the people who don't have any special abilities, they're, uh, they kind of are scared of the people who do have the special abilities? To a certain extent. I mean, the, uh, there is a, an upcoming set of short stories that are going to kind of look a little bit more at uh, the world of the Mundies, and particularly those uh, Mundies, mundanes, who are, um, shall we say, nervous about the potential of all the people around them. But the truth of the matter is magic is so commonplace in this world that um, it's difficult for anybody to get sort of a good uh, hysteria up and running just because, you know, you're next door. And if you, don't know, if you don't know how to use magic yourself, chances are that you have several relatives who do. And okay. uh, so there's, there's not so much of a, uh, a hysteria about... Um, supernatural powers per se. There is a little bit more tension between the humans and the uh, some of the more overtly supernatural uh, inhabitants like the vampires or the telepaths but um, those groups tend to avoid conflict just by kind of keeping a low profile. You know, everybody knows that the, the telepaths are there but they are quiet, they keep to themselves, they mind their own business, and they clean up their own garbage. So nobody really thinks too much about them on a daily basis. Uh, similar thing with the vampires. Nobody really, outside of the police and the underworld, knows that the vampires run this vast um, criminal empire. Everybody's heard about vamps and organized crime, but nobody really has any appreciation for how... Uh, widespread their network is and that's the way that a lot of these creatures get by in mortal society is simply by uh, making themselves appear to be less extraordinary than they are and just you know kind of not making waves okay so in in some ways it's kind of like uh, the Harry Potter series yeah, in some ways, there's there's definitely um, you know in Harry Harry Potter's world, um, you know within the world of wizards, there's definitely a sense that you know magic is is everywhere, and once you've crossed into that world, uh, you know it's people take it for granted. It's it's almost mundane itself, um, but there are things going on within the world around Hogwarts that not everybody is cognizant of. Right. The difference is, of course, that you've got, you know, the Mundies or the Muggles in, in Harry's world are completely oblivious about magic, whereas the ones in, in the world of Metamore, they know what magic is, and, you know, with a little preparation, they can even make some use of it. They, you know, even uh, an ordinary person can go down to their local alchemist shop and pick up a potion mix or go to a magic shop and pick up the ingredients to con to perform a, a ritual spell. So it's always there, and people, for the most part, tend to view it as another tool, um, much like we see technology these days. You know, the people who do uh, maintenance on our computers or the people who program, uh, you know, who create software are seen as rather extraordinary and talented, and we even call them wizards. 
but we're not afraid of them. Right. Okay. And um, how long ago did you start writing Metamore City? I started working on Metamore City back around 1999. I had been writing in the uh, shared fantasy universe called Metamore Keep uh, since uh, early 1998. And uh, around late 1999, as we were nearing the turn of the millennium, or so we called it, uh, there was a lot of thought about, okay, what is this world going to look like? This, you know, We had this epic fantasy world that I and a bunch of other writers were taking part in, and I started thinking about what this world could look like if it grew up to our level of technology. And uh, so I was playing around, you know, batting around ideas in my head for a few years and talking to some of the other writers who um, I was working with at that time. And uh, around 2001, I started actually writing stories uh, based in that setting. And I played with it a little bit here and there um, over the next several years. And then in uh, about 2000, the end of 2005, I started working on the outline for Making the Cut uh, left it alone, came back to it, and then uh, you know left it alone again, picked it up again. Finally, when I discovered podcasting and realized that this was potentially a, an outlet for my fiction, I started to work on it more seriously. And uh, that was around the fall of, of 2006. Um, worked on it very uh, intensively to finish an outline between then and uh, April and uh, then took two weeks off and then got started in May 2007 writing the novel. And uh, it is now April 2008, and I am just shy of finishing it. Okay. And now, um, what made you, what led you to the decision of starting to release it before you had actually finished writing it? Well, that was largely a result of the book turning out to be about twice as large as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I had uh, started this, you know, like I said, I, I started writing it in May of 2007. Um, during that summer, I started putting together um, the equipment that I would need to podcast, and I put together the first several episodes, which were all short stories. And uh, it was my plan that by the time that the first episode of making the cut actually started in uh, January, when chapter one dropped in January of 2008, that I would actually be finished with the novel. But I was fi figuring that based on it being about 100,000 words long. Um, it is now currently about 175,000 words and counting. So that, you know, the story just turned out to be a lot bigger than I had expected it to. So the uh, the whole... Um, writing while podcasting it was not intentional, but I'm so far ahead of the story that at this point I know everything that's going to happen. Just have to actually get the, the last few chapters uh, written down in their final form. Okay. And uh, hopefully you won't come to the end and say, oh, whoops, I had to cha have to change something back in chapter 10. No, that's not going to happen. This One of the virtues of the way that I write, it's not the fastest method, but I do uh, outline very meticulously. Um, you know, the story, be, just because the story turned out to be bigger than I thought it was didn't mean that I, I didn't know where I was going. 
Uh, it just means that there was uh, an extra little um, side th uh, plot thread running through the story that I was not originally aware of um, that was necessitated by some of the actions of the characters, and I, I realized that as I was in the process of writing it. Uh, at this point, everything is you know pretty well clear. Around November or December last year, uh, I had to kind of stop what I was, you know, the actual writing and take a look at my outline again, make some revisions to where things were going. But uh, everything's back on track now, and I'm definitely, you know, looking forward to having this puppy finished <laughs> so I can focus on getting the podcast out um, and building up my backlog again of, of, you know, my buffer of episodes because uh, I started this with about a two-month buffer, and now I'm down to, you know, airing episode, you know, one episode, and then scrambling to put together the next one. Yeah, I uh, with this podcast, I'm I'm the same way. Sometimes I get to several weeks ahead, and other times it's like, oh, I I running out of interviews in four <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to do so much traveling up in uh, in February and March, um, just because, or January and February mostly, um, trying to get things lined up for um, my potential future career as a teacher. That uh, you know, kind of killed a lot of time that I would have been spending working on the podcast. And now that that's that phase of the um, job application process is all done, it's like, okay, now where's my buffer? <laughs> Right. So at this point, are you looking forward to having a dead tree version of the story, or? I'm not dream. I, I mean, I, I'm dreaming about that, but it's not um, a major um, obsession at this point. Yeah, I would like to see Metamorph City in print, but um, at the moment, what I would like, the way I would like to start it, is to. Um, have essentially a first anthology of the short stories and then um, the second book being making the cut and then the third book being you know the novel after that but uh, at the moment I don't have enough short stories to make an anthology and um, making the cut is pretty big for a book all by itself so I'm not really pinning a whole lot of hopes on seeing it in print in the near future, um, which is fine with me because I actually think that the sort of um, audio dramatic presentation that I'm doing um, with, the, uh, with the podcast is pretty much the ideal way to experience these stories. Right, yeah, it's def it is definitely nice hearing uh, a multitude of voices. Mm -hmm. as as opposed to just one person reading it and maybe flipping between voices. Yeah, I mean, I would not be doing this novel um, without the help of a voice cast because, you know, I had in my in chapter one, I had 11 people, um, 11 characters. That's you can't do that many voices and keep <laughs> them all straight unless you've got some kind of psychosis. <laughs> right. Or uh, not to knock him too much, but or you wind up with Scott Sigler and several of your characters sound the same. <laughs> yes, that's that's definitely a possibility. But uh, given the, that I had so many characters in one room at the same time, uh, that was not really a, a viable option. 
Plus, it's just a lot more fun to bring in other people to, you know, I, I've been writing collaboratively since, you know, for as long as I've been writing for um, public consumption. You know, these those uh, shared story universes that I mentioned earlier, that was how I, I cut my teeth as an author. So to me, it, it's a part of the writing experience to go and pull in other people to help with a project and you know, what you make is better than anything that you could have made by yourself. So I'm, I'm having a huge amount of fun bringing in other podcasters, bringing in my friends from around here uh, to help take part in bringing the story to life. Right. So at, at this point, when everything is ready to go to print, are you looking at, like trying to get crowns attention or are you looking at going the lulu route or i have no idea um i might offer them as print on demand eventually like i said if you know i'm not even thinking about that until i have enough short stories to put together the first anthology um i might shop them around to smaller presses i doubt i'll be going you know aiming for the top at the beginning simply because the conventional wisdom wisdom in the uh, publishing industry is that anthologies don't sell and so if you look at the people who are publishing anthologies these days it tends to be the smaller presses um, nightshade books comes to mind um, can't think of any others at the moment but it is it does tend to be those smaller companies that see the potential in these books and you know who can blame them the the big the big name publishers every book that they put out is a huge gamble 40 percent of the books that they um put out there never pay back their uh their the money that was no actually 70 percent of them never pay off the the uh advance on royalties 40 percent of the books that get sent out get returned so there is you know I think that the, the publishing industry is not going to persist the way that it has been traditionally for all that much longer anyway. Um, the way that uh, bookstores are dropping like flies, you know, Borders just having to, you know, I think they just filed for bankruptcy, didn't they? Yep. And, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble's not in that much better shape. And, you know, even, uh, you know, with people talking about these, you know, print-on-demand uh, kiosks that they're going, you know, people potentially be able in, in five years from now to go into a coffee shop, um, order a book, and have it printed while they wait. And I think that that is the only reasonable way that they're going to solve this whole supply-demand problem that the publishing industry has right now. It just doesn't pay to move dead trees yet if you don't already know that somebody's going to be you know, buying it when it gets to where it's going. So I'm not trying to pin my, um, my, my future plans on anything in the industry as it currently stands. I'm content to sit back and write my stories and make my podcasts and wait for the dust to settle. And when we see how somebody puts together a viable business model for the 21st century, then, you know, I'll move forward at that point. Okay. And um, as far as um, hardware is concerned, how are you recording the episodes? Well, I have a, uh, my setup cost me, all told, about $300, um, not counting the computer, of course. 
I have a, uh, an MXL 990 microphone uh, on a little desktop stand with a, uh, with a, a, wind, a pop filter in front of it. Uh, I ho have that hooked up to a uh, Lexicon Lambda uh, USB audio interface. And uh, that is pretty much the, uh, the setup from the hardware side. I record my uh, narration in, well, using a combination of Cubase, LE, and Audacity, um, kind of flipping back and forth between the programs using their strengths uh, as I'm composing the episode. And uh, that is pretty much it. I recently put down a few hundred dollars more for uh, you know, some, some uh, royalty-free music and sound effects from uh, Digital Juice, which is just an awesome, uh, you know, awesome little business there. But uh, that is more for the bells and whistles rather than a, a strictly necessary part of the, um, the recording project. I just got tired of hunting for sound effects online. Yeah, I just uh, recently started uh, letting a audio drama go, and having to find the right sound online can be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a real pain. Oh yes, I spent probably more time uh, in the er those early episodes hunting for the right sound effects and the right music than I did for just about you know for anything else in the process of producing the episodes. Thank heavens that I, I got in touch with uh, David Beard, who is a um, music composer for, um, he, he does mostly small independent films. And he basically opened up his whole library to me and said, use whatever you want, you know, just as long as I get credit. So um, you'll see his name popping up a lot in the, uh, the show notes for the episodes. And I, I think that his music has kind of become the uh, the signature theme uh, of Metamore City. Okay. And um, speaking of the show notes, where can someone find your podcast? Uh, that would be at www.metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. And you can sign up there. There are buttons for subscribing in iTunes or for any other... Uh, RSS feed aggregator and uh, that's pretty much it that's where I've got all my stuff right now okay and are you up on patio books yet or I am not yet on patio books um, I am wanting I'm currently getting author um, actors together to do a uh, set of remastered versions of the first three episodes um, going back and doing full voice cast for those stories. Uh, once I do that, and uh, once I get a... I'm also looking for a cover artist uh, to do a, a cool-looking cover for Metamore City. Um, once I get those things together, then I'm going to uh, start putting stuff up on patio books. Um, Chris Miller has basically given me the open door whenever I'm ready to uh, to start putting stuff up there, he's willing to do it, and I would like to to in order to take advantage of the extra um, audience that you can get through Podia Books. But uh, for right now, I want to make sure that the presentation of the stories is the best that it can be before I I put it up there. Okay, <clears throat> and um, for any budding authors out there, 
what would you would you recommend that they podcast their novels and or what recommendations would you have for that uh number one get yourself into a community of writers um, that you can take part in and get some feedback uh, i would not be doing this i would not be good enough to be doing this if it weren't for the years that i spent um getting you know putting my stories out there uh into a community where i was getting some great feedback and getting some practical uh input on those stories and also just you know experience with doing it there's a lot of writing that you can only learn by writing um you there are a lot of local writers groups that you can find um you know, people meet up either on the internet or, you know, locally. A lot of cons um, will host writers' workshops. That, that's a great way to meet new people and get an opportunity to uh, share your work with others and, you know, get feedback and also to give feedback because I think that the process of breaking down and studying someone else's stories can teach you a lot about how to uh, write your own fiction. Um, so that would be my, my main piece of advice for somebody just starting out. As for the decision of whether to podcast or not, I think that it is a great way to uh, get your stuff out there to be heard, um, literally and figuratively, uh, because you know putting stuff you can put stuff up on a blog or on a regular web page, but it's kind of like shouting into the void these days. Uh, I have a lot more feedback on my stories since I started podcasting them than I did uh, when I had them on my website. And, you know, a lot of the Metamore City stories were up there on that web page for, you know, five or six years and didn't get, um, you know, hardly anything in the way of response. And now I've got 1,200 people subscribing every week to, to hear these stories. Um so it is, I think it's, it's one of the best ways that are out there for a new person to get noticed. But uh, I can tell you that with the way that the, uh, the market is growing, you know, the, the number of podcasts is just booming exponentially. Um, you've got to have something to distinguish yourself from the crowd. You've got to have something that will get people to, to notice you. And uh, that's where forming... Uh, connections to other existing podcasters uh, really comes in handy. If it weren't for the help that I got from people like Leanne Mabry and Cunning Minx and MA and PA and um, thank God for Steve Ely who promoted me on Escape Pod. <laughs> I mean these people, um, T. Morris, Philippa Ballantyne, there's just too many of them to name. Um, all of them were, were very willing to help out and uh, you know, help make this, this show the best that it could be. And uh, that is what gets you noticed. It's that, you know, the networking, the word of mouth. Um, you know, you got to find other people who um, are out there in the community and do what you can to help them to take part in making their shows uh, better. You know, you can leave voicemails and uh, comment on people's blogs and, you know, contact them and basically, you know, do whatever you can to make yourself available as a, a part of the community and uh, people will reciprocate yeah that's uh, one of the groups I'm currently working with that's one hard thing I'm 
having to trying to stress to them is if you want to be accepted by the community you have to be part of the community mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely and uh, it's not like there's a, a shortage of opportunities everybody's hungry for feedback in this business everybody's particularly hungry for audio feedback because it's something that they can, can you know make a part of their show so right. yes send audio comments leave voicemails do uh, reviews for for Dragon Page cover to cover. They're desperate for book reviews right now. You know, there's always stuff that you can do to help chip in and uh, you know enhance, you know, add value to the community. To use uh, marketing speak. All right. And now, coming from a a a podcaster who has very little. Uh, feedback, either verbally or comment-wise, do you have any recommendations as to how to get uh, so so much feedback? You have to have a feedback episode? <laughs> well, the reason why I had a feedback episode is because I asked people to send feedback. <laughs> um, that, you know, I'd, I'd kind of been squirreling away uh, messages that I'd been getting from the, the first two months that the podcast was in running. And I told people that I was, you know, making plans to air a feedback episode. And so that that was the main reason why I got enough material to put together that uh, that feedback episode at Christmas time. Um, since then, you know, I get anywhere from two to four messages for each episode. You know, it's not like what... Uh, J.C. Hutchins and Scott Sigler get heavens no, but uh, I think that you know the main thing is that you've you've just got to be patient and let the audience grow and and find the show. You know, you do what you can to promote it. You know, offering the uh, you know offer your services, like you said, be part of the community, and people will air your promos and spread the word about what you're doing, and uh, then just you know give it time for people to discover it. So at at this, I know a lot of podcasts. Or this might seem kind of a strange question since you're not thinking of publishing yet, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of podcasters I know right now are looking toward uh, Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins as being the trailblazers. Trailblazers. Oh, yes. yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. okay. Is um, that the the question? Is if I agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that what uh, what Scott and, and uh, Hutch are doing is awesome, and uh, I think that certainly the publishing industry is using them as uh, test cases, especially Scott, to see whether or not um, online popularity translates into uh, popularity in print. But not everybody is going to be a blockbuster. We can't all be uh, the superstars. And even if a, you know, there's a big uh, bandwagon effect, you know, if, if Scott blows up hugely and you get the kind of surge for podcast fiction um, that you, you know, you got when the paranormal romance uh, genre blew up a few years ago, um, even if that is the case, it's going to be, you know, the, the surge is going to be short-lived. Uh, you're not going to be able to count on... Um, people just indiscriminately snapping up everybody who's got a microphone and uh, a story to read. Um, you know, it's it. People are going to be looking for the uh, the cream of the crop, 
and even with you know 1200 listeners a week which i think is a very respectable number you know that's an order of magnitude less than what people like uh hutch and sigler and, and murr are pulling down and heck look at murr lafferty she got what thirty thousand listeners before the end by playing for uh, for playing for keeps some insane number like that and she still can't sell that book right so it you know it's it's not a guarantee of of commercial success even if you are uh well known and popular and I think that it's important for people not to be under under any illusions and to really keep your priorities straight because ultimately if you're doing this if you're doing writing for money <laughs> you're in the wrong business um people uh, you know you if you should you shouldn't get into a creative venture um on, even on a commercial level unless you have got something that you want to share with the rest of the world and the 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 experience of sharing that is more important than any material reward that you can gain from it. I mean, do I want to see my books in print? Certainly. Absolutely. Would I like to be able to make money doing this? You bet. But it's not the main reason why I'm in this. I'm putting my stories out there because I enjoy um, being part of that dialogue of, you know, sharing my views of the world, sharing, you know, just telling stories and having people respond to it. That's the real reward for being a writer, for being a podcaster. You know, the, the money is secondary, and it, it, all, it should be secondary. If you're in this for the money and not for the love, then your priorities are wrong, and you should be looking at something that's a little bit more uh, likely way of making your fortune. Because <laughs> right. this, this is, is not it. And that's... Um, you know, on top of that is just like I said, the publishing industry is not going to continue to do business the way that it has been doing business. It can't afford to. They are they are in a slow downward slide and accelerating. So even if you know, even though I absolutely think that that Scott is a, a major trailblazer, and you know Hutch is close behind him, um, I think that the the path that they are blazing is not going to look the way that it does now for them in five years. You know, this, the path that the rest of us follow, even if there is a bandwagon effect, is not going to be the path that Scott followed. Right. Yeah, it was kind of surprising that last year's podcast and New Media Expo, some of the people on the showroom floor, they were so sure that everyone doing it was there to make money they were really shocked when you told them no i'm not here to make money (laughs) yeah i think that um i think there's going to have to be a shakedown of the uh of the community you know in terms of a a realignment of expectations there's some people out there who think that this is going to be like the dot-com bubble was in the you know the early 2000s and that you're going to get a whole bunch of people, you know, becoming overnight millionaires because of new media. And I just don't see it. You know, there's, you know, look at the economy right now. There's not that kind of speculative cash floating around. Yeah. Podcasting has been around for four years and I think Podshow is the only one who can 
even kind of claim they're making money, but that's probably more from capital investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the, and it's been around for four years, and nine out of ten people you ask still have no idea what a podcast is. Probably ninety-nine out of a hundred people don't know what a podcast is, even in this country, as wired as we are. So, <laughs> yeah, it's we we've got a long way to go. Uh, before this is going to be a commercial medium. And personally, I like that. I like the fact that it's all still very um, small and hip and indie and that uh, you can have a guy in his basement um, recording his stories and putting them up there and uh, you can get a whole lot of people to, to follow him. I'm glad that the big corporate... Um, you know, monetization movement has not turned us into a bunch of McPodcasts. Yep, definitely. So, at this point, what's on your uh, feed catcher? Oh, gosh. Um, there's, let me just pull it up here and see what I've got. Um, probably the, the stuff that I listen to more most often, uh, Moravi, uh, Murray V Remastered T. Morris is doing an awesome job with that um, anything by Mer Lafferty I'm signed up for uh, for the uh, Merverse now so pretty much whatever she's doing I, I listen to uh, Scott Sigler's feed anything he's got going uh, Chasing the Bard which is Philippa Ballantyne's uh, fantasy novel um, basically crossing the world of fairy with the world of Shakespeare which is awesome and I'm not just saying that because I'm one of the stars. <laughs> um, uh, from Farpoint Media, the Babylon podcast, uh, Voices of Babylon, um, you know, Dragon Page cover to cover. Um, I've kind of taken a little bit of a break from Escape Pod, but uh, I have a huge amount of respect for what Steve Ely's doing over there. Um, just starting to get into Podcastle. Yeah, I could go on and on and on. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts. Oh, anything by Christiana Ellis, definitely. Um, Space Casey was brilliant, and I'm looking forward to what she does next. Um. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely looking forward to uh, either Space Casey 2 or uh, uh, Nina Kimberly 2. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know what she's got in the works yet, but whatever it is, it's going to be good. And uh, same thing with Murr. Um, I really, really want to hear uh, Heaven Season 5. <laughs> but I know that she's got to finish uh, her other project first. And uh, if she ends up airing that first, that would be awesome, too. Whatever she does is going to be awesome. Oh, and I, I can't let this go without mentioning my arch nemesis, P.G. Holyfield and uh, Murder at Avedon Hill. Uh, the stuff that he's doing over there um, is echoing um, a lot of what I'm doing in a lot of ways. His stuff is is more medieval fantasy, but in the sense of having a big world with a lot of stories to tell. And, uh, you know, the first novel just sort of scratching the surface of the deeper mysteries. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of commonality there. The difference is that he can actually write mystery novels which I have never learned how to do <laughs> I tend to be more focused on you know 
the 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 whole thriller moving forward um and the you know the the character based um dark fantasy stuff um putting together a story and then taking out pieces so that people spend the whole time wondering what the hell is going on and then at the end they they don't feel like they've been cheated yeah i can't do that yet that's <laughs> that's uh you know, all of them and i'm on that same note, I'm also looking forward to the next bill about battings, um, which T. Morris is bringing out, I guess, in print first um, sometime this summer. And uh, definitely hugely enjoyed the first one. Uh, bill about battings in the case of the Singing Sword was a large part of what inspired me to do uh, the Metamore City podcast. And uh, can't wait to see Billy and his friends again. Right. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see if he uh, figures out who has the uh, magical lock on their desk in the DA office. Mm, yeah, I think that those some of those mysteries that were set up are going to spend a while paying themselves out, which is fine by me. Right. Alright, well, uh, definitely thank you for being on my show, Chris. Uh, sorry, I had to reschedule last time we were going to do this. Oh, no worries. Not a problem. All right. And um, definitely uh, hope you do come back to the show sometime. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty available, and uh, it was fun. So, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. All right. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that was my interview with Chris Lester. Um, as you may have noticed I seem to be having a bit of a cough lately um, from shortly before I did that interview all the way up to now um, let's see how's the best way to say this at this point um, since my interview with Basil Sands has to be postponed I'm not sure when my next interview is going to be. I was going to announce at the end of this episode that I was moving Patio Media Chat to being an every other week podcast as I have other things I'm going to be starting here or I've already started which just can't juggle everything all at one time. Um, so at this point, I can't really say when the next episode is going to be, or who it's going to be with. I do have Jack Hosley looking at my interview with uh, Basil Sands to see if it can be fixed. If not, I will have to reschedule my interview with him. But anyways, um, do stay subscribed. I'm, this feed isn't closing down. Um, but one cool thing I did want to announce, if you aren't listening to J.C. Hutchins' um, interview show, he did recently interview Mark Jeffries. 
Uh, and it was kind of cool that some of his answers he didn't give full answers to because he had just given the information on here. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And something he hinted that he was thinking of doing, he did actually announce that he was going to be doing on uh, J.C. Hutchins' show. And now he's finally done that, I can go ahead and play this. Do you remember what happened on April 8th at exactly 3.38 in the afternoon? when time stopped. If you do, then you remember Max Quick. You remember quantum books, sky chambers, and a strange undiscovered planet in our own solar system. Hi there, this is Mark Jeffrey, author of Max Quick, book one, The Pocket and the Pendant. You may remember this book is one of the original three books on patiobooks.com, along with Scott Sigler's Earthcore and T. Morris's Moravi. Now, on May 1st, 2008, please join me for the world premiere of Max Quick, Book 2, The Two Travelers. Five quiet years have passed in Starlin, California, but all of that is about to change. Max Quick, Book 2, The Two Travelers, May 1st, exclusively on Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series, please visit MaxQuickSeries.com. Com. This has been a disembodied voices, disembodied voices, podcast group podcast. Come visit us at dvoices dot blogspot dot com <laughs>